Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Asha Mweru from Nairobi, Kenya. Asha is an experienced Pan-African professional having worked in different initiatives in new company building, working with entrepreneurs to scale their businesses, managing multi-country complex projects for entrepreneurial ecosystem builders, and providing financing through venture capital to early stage and growth stage businesses. She has worked as an advisor for entrepreneurs in Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Rwanda, Ethiopia, and Uganda, and has designed and facilitated business training to over 1,000 entrepreneurs across Africa. Most recently, she designed a tool that has been adopted and deployed by the UN International Trade Center to support startups in preparing for due diligence with an investor across several markets in Africa. Currently, she is the Director of Operations and Talent at the African Management Institute, or AMI, and the co-founder of Women Work Kenya. She has been recognized by Facebook as a community leader of the University of Cape Town as a young African leader and the British High Commission. She's a strong believer in failing fast, learning along the process and never settling. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Asha today. Welcome, Asha. Uh, great to have you. We've collaborated before uh, related to your work with Women Work Kenya, but today I'm really excited to dive into some of your other past work and, and hear more about your leadership journey. So welcome. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to um, conversate today. You've done a lot of different uh, things in your career so far that has touched on investment, entrepreneurship training, uh, you know, leadership development, uh, international trade. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, what has motivated you to pursue different types of opportunities as they have arisen uh, so far in your career? Um, that's, a, that's a good question, Chris. Um, I think there are two things that have essentially motivated me to pursue the things I have. One of them is, at the heart of things, I am a creator and an operator. Um, as a creator, I love, love building businesses. I love working with entrepreneurs. I love thinking about a product, thinking about how to get into the market. Um, is the product market right fit, etc. And so you'll see in my career, I've chosen uh, paths that enabled me to be a creator. So being a founder, um, working with entrepreneurs as well. And then on the other part of the things that have really taken me and taken me to choosing what I've chosen um, is the sense of being an operator. I'm, I love being hands-on, rolling up my, my sleeves, working on different problems and solving them. Um, and so you'll see I've worked in organizations that allowed me to do that, think about scale, think about uh, talent needs, think about expansion um, and growth needs. So those are the two things that have been my, my guiding North Stars. That's great, uh, and you can really articulate that well. It's it's definitely important in my experience to be very clear about what's driving your career decisions. Otherwise, you might just end up, you know, finding a role or or making a decision that uh, you end up not, uh, not necessarily uh, being super happy with. Um, yeah. So it sounds like that's been a great tool or focus of yours to be able to uh, guide your career decisions. So. I know you're now working as the Director of Operations and Talent at the African Management Institute, but I, I first want to take us back a little bit and, and understand 
where your leadership journey began. Do you, do you remember you know, maybe the first time you led or managed a team and, and how that went and, and how that ended up uh, shaping how you have kind of adapted your leadership style today? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, this, this, these questions are great because they gave me some time to really do some retro and think about uh, myself as a leader many years ago. And the very first time I managed a team was when I started my first company back in college. Um, the company was called Chochote, which is the Swahili word for anything. And it was an online store um, at that time. So we raised some um, seed funding or pre-seed funding, and I had a team of two, then a team of five. Um, and I mean, that experience was quite, um, it was tough. It was the very first time I, I needed to, to manage a team. I think I was about 22. It showed me more of how not to lead, or it really influenced me to understand what a leader is not. Um, I really wasn't self-aware enough as a leader and I wasn't sure what my leadership style was. Um, I think I was a strong individual contributor. And I think all the other team members were individual contributors as well, but we didn't really function as a team, as a harmonious group of people working towards a particular mission and vision. Um, there was no sense of cadence, of accountability, we're doing too many things, etc. So looking back, um, I think I can see how far I've grown or I can see the differences in how I lead now. But that was the first time I and uh, the team of people that I led, we are all still friends. So luckily they forgave me, Chris. <laughs> That's great to hear. So was that uh, during college that you started that e-commerce startup? And yeah. you know, it, yeah. I, I, it, it's clear to me that you have identified what you thought went well and what wasn't working. Do mm. you, would you say that you were able to identify those in the moment? Or is that only with hindsight did you kind of help uh, craft those leadership lessons for yourself? No, absolutely not. Um, I, I was not able to recognize that uh, then. And it's only in hindsight that you are able to recognize that. And I think that's part of leadership, right? So sometimes in the when you're in the thick of things, it's so hard to recognize what is wrong. You just know something is wrong. But until later on is when I realized, oh, you mean that's what I didn't do. Oh, you know, so it, it's only in hindsight. And I do think as a leader, it's really important for us to slow down sometimes and really think about how we're doing the way, how, how we're leading, how we're doing things the way we want to do them. Are we doing the things uh, that we want to do? Are we being the leaders we want to be? But that only takes some time to really sit down and think through those. That's so true. I think it's, it's time. Uh, but it's also, I think for me, at least, you know, there was some youth component in, in my, one of my first leadership roles, you know, I, I certainly made mistakes, but it, it, it was probably my ego that, you know, uh, didn't, it kind of blinded me from yeah. realizing the mistakes I made. And then also you, you sometimes don't, uh, you know, put, you know, two and two together until you're in your next role whether mm -hmm. that's a leadership role or when you're, you know, a, a team member and you're seeing another leader in action where you're like, uh-huh, so that's what I did wrong because I'm seeing this person <laughs> either do it much better or make the same mistake and then it clicks and then you can yeah. kind of lock in that learning. And, and you know what, actually, you said something quite interesting, Chris, you know, 
when you see other people doing it and you're like, oh, I see, right? And I think over the years, I've also been led by exceptional leaders from um, our CEO right now, Rebecca Harrison, to other leaders uh, you know, at Synapis as well. And I've seen how they led and, and how they lead. And that has also influenced my just sense of leadership style. I've taken a couple of things from them. I hope they've taken some from me. Um, but that has really contributed to my belief in what a leader is and you know how you should lead a team or some of the ways you should solve different issues in a team, et cetera. That's great. And so you ended up, you know, uh, moving beyond uh, your e-commerce startup. You uh, helped run some operations and strategy at Startup Grind, which is a, a well-known, respected uh, startup community and incubator uh, in Nairobi, and then also went on to play a bunch of leadership roles at, at Synapsis. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your management experience at Synapsis? And I imagine maybe that, that really helped you solidify some of your management style and, and learnings uh, there. Yeah, um, so at Synapis, um, my, my role morphed into many different things. So the first time I joined, I was more or less working uh, on partnerships and then I grew into a country manager and finally a regional expan uh, expansion manager. And I think one of the things that I, I look back and I think about it comes out quite clearly is at the early stages of your leadership journey, you're more or less learning from others, right? So I was very execution heavy, right? It was, hey, how do we do this, right? It wasn't kind of thinking back and thinking, what is it that we want to do? And so that was a key thing I built on. How do you take a strategy and execute it and work with a team to execute it? Um, so, so my leadership capabilities and um, style then made me a very strong executor and a very strong team leader to get a team to execute on an already preset strategy. Um, and then later on in my career, when I uh, kind of rose up the ranks, got um, more senior leadership positions, that made me a lot more strategic to think about, well, what exactly do we want to do? And then being able to break that down into what the strategy is from an execution basis. And then now working with a team to execute on that. So I think one thing to realize when I, I, I see a lot of frustration when um, maybe a, maybe people come to me and say, could you mentor me to become you know, a better leader? Um, I always say, you know, it, it's a step-by-step -step process. Whatever you're doing right now and whatever kind of leadership style that you have right now is really a great stepping stone into other positions, into other leadership and more um, advanced leadership styles that you might develop later on. You know, you mentioned uh, as you're describing your current role as, you know, you get into other people's businesses. And I think that that's related to this kind of perspective. It's almost seen as a bad thing, right? Like, oh, why are you all up in my business? Yeah. But it sounds like you're doing that from almost a, you know, internal partnership perspective. So maybe could you walk us through an example of how you work together with different partners in the organization uh, to produce results? Um, yeah. So I think about results from my role is in two bits. So macro level, um, how does what we're doing fit into the company? And two, from a micro level, um, how does what each team does and how they contribute uh, in their teams fit into the company as well? Um, and so... A key example for us is for, for us to know how we're doing month and month, 
uh, and perhaps quarter by quarter, we have an, we use an OKR system of measuring results and prioritizing the work that we do. Um, and initially, when I joined AMI, we were still using OKRs, but we hadn't really figured out what system to use it on. And I, uh, alongside many other team members as well, uh, really did a lot of research to understand what tool would allow us, one, visibility, accountability, and also give us a good sense of UI to track whatever we're doing. So we ended up moving our entire uh, accountability system from Sheets, uh, Google Sheets, to a system called Ply, which is an OKR tracking system. Um, and that essentially means that you need to rally all teams up for us to understand why we need to do this change, get them to buy in into the change, train them to use a whole new system, and get them to actually use it uh, day by day. I would, I would be glad i mean i would be really excited to say ah, it was all me but it wasn't it, it required a whole lot of just everyone's team support to do it right people have to buy into why this is important for them as individuals for them as team leads and for everybody else to see why this is a good thing um so i think that's a good example of you know changing one thing working to produce a result to streamline a particular thing that goes, that, you know, cuts across every team, cuts across every individual, um, and being able to successfully doing it, but doing it with other teams. So it, it, that's why I need to be in your business to help you work better, to help you thrive. That's great. It's a great example. And so uh, you may still be in the midst of that transition, uh, maybe not, but you know what are the what are the results that you have been able to point to with that transition to say moving from Google Sheets to this uh, new OKR software that you know maybe uh, allows for better uh, visibility and, and uh, real time results. So what has been the uptake and can you are you able to point to that now uh, when you propose new changes? Um, yeah. So the the. the the change happened in the first quarter of the year so that happened in january um and we took about two or three months to fully transition and as, if, as with any change new change uh thing that you bring into the organization of course there were little bumps but some of the good things that have come out of it one is this sense of i know what each team is working on um so i can take a step back and understand what are the company goals uh, i can take a step further back and understand what is, what is each team's goals um, and how do I contribute to them as well. Um, so I think the biggest one is transparency across different, I think, I think we still have transparency, but a enhanced and more, you know, easier way to see uh, OKRs across the entire company. The other bit, I think as a result of that, there is just better ways to prioritize whenever you see that you have 15 goals, you're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> that's a lot. They can't have 15 priorities. Let's scale this down as a team to maybe five. So think a sense of prioritization and focus instead of doing everything, what's the most important thing to do this quarter um, as well. Um, we also, on that tool, we also have a one-on-one -on -one tool that people use. So it's just a sense of better accountability and tracking of the conversations you have with your managers um, and being able to come back to that over and over again. Okay, so the, the OKR software, you said it was Ply? Yeah, yeah. 
it, it actually like links into you know one-on-one -on -one check ins or some kind of daily reporting tool yes. so that it's it's less of a extra thing to report on and it's more integrated with your day to day. Yeah. And the other thing that's quite interesting with Ply is that it gives you percentages of and uh, percentages of where you are as a as a team and as a company in um, hitting those targets that you wanted. So you can actually see quite quantitatively um, are we doing the things that we want to do that we set out to do? Not how far off are we or how far are we not? Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, uh, like, like I said earlier, a great example. It, it reminds me of the different, you know, systems and structures that I had to put in place when I was building up a team in Malawi. And mm. for good or for bad, you know, more and more time has to be, you know, or attention rather, you know, be put towards intentionally communicating and making you know decisions and seeking feedback from the right places as your team grows yeah. in size and complexity uh and the types of you know go whether it's goal setting like on google sheets or whether yeah. it's that you know who's in what you know type of regular meeting it does matter as you mm. bring on new team members and it's really important that there are uh, senior leaders within an organization that's scaling up or even growing uh, its footprint uh, that are paying attention uh, to that. Because if you're growing really quickly, those types of things may need to change in just a matter of months or you know, within a year. Uh, so hopefully your OKR platform will uh, still be uh, suitable in, in within the next few years, but maybe, you know, <laughs> it could even uh, require uh, another change in a couple of years yeah. uh, to warrant the, the change in, in how MI is, is running. Yeah and, and it, yeah, and I think at that point is, I think as a leader, it's just adapting to what people need and, you know, not being too rigid on, on a particular format of things if what the market needs and what the company needs is different. So... Um, as hard as it is, um, I'm more than happy to, you know, to adapt as we grow, as we scale, as we, you know, morph. Um, yeah. Are there other examples uh, where your team has kind of tried something new or some kind of learning related to, you know, the quote unquote future of work? I mean, I know AMI is very um, forward looking and, and kind of ahead of the curve when it comes to blended learning and, and digital learning. Uh, is there anything else that you guys uh, in, in your first year with them have noticed uh, are really uh, learning quickly? Yeah, so when, when I joined AMI, actually, it was the height of COVID. Um, so we barely met with anyone. And so it was, it was, we're just kind of learning what does it take to really manage a fully remote team? And that was, I think at that point, is a little bit challenging, but it seems to be working really well still, right? So we would meet on a day-to-day -day basis for about 10 minutes, um, 10 to 15 minutes, and we would just connect because you're radically, you're ra there's a radical change, right? So you're moving from the office to 100% remote. We don't really know how to, how to do this. Um, but over the past year, I think we've, We've managed to understand the, the rhythm of things. So one of the things that we've learned, and this is 
I mean, I think there's enough research right now around, you know, how to, how to work best remote, you know, how to implement the best remote working strategies. Um, but I think what one thing that we haven't talked about a lot, and this is something that Rebecca, our CEO, just mentioned the other day, is this ability to build relationships, right? So the more you work online, the more transactional you are. And when the moment she said that, I was like, oh, wait, that is actually quite right, because you're thinking about how do I get this done rather than like, oh, let me just even have a quick chat with you. And that means that uh, as you work remotely, then you need to be more intentional, not just about getting things done, but about making sure you're building relationships, because that relationship is what is going to drive harmony in how we work in the long run and especially when things are tough when things um, are really hectic and you're tired and you're drawing from that relationship cup so it's quite easy when you work remotely to get to a point and you're upset and just you know you just want something and you just ask for it the way you want versus really just having that relationship that builds on how we ask things how we receive things how we interact with our colleagues in a respectful, caring manner as well. So one thing that I think we've learned is we've, I think we've stabilized how we work remotely, but we've learned that it's as equally important to learn how to build relationships uh, as you do that, um, whether it's offline, online, but it's really critical as well. I know in a number of your different roles over the years, you've found yourself uh, managing people directly, but also spearheading projects that require indirect kind of oversight of different teams. What would you say has been the hardest part uh, that you found in terms of managing uh, other people or working with people to achieve results? I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all management style, right? You're managing individuals, not machines. <laughs> um, and while you need to have broad strokes of this is what I want to be able to achieve. Our our cadence of things is, you know, we're measuring um, results and outcomes. Um, you must be able to still treat each individual as an individual. And I find that challenging sometimes. Um, you have to kind of walk into the room or be in the room with a lot more emotional intelligence, a lot more empathy, a lot more um, ability to guide a team rather than do it for them as well and really think about who am I dealing with um, how can I enable this person to grow what motivates them um, it's not essentially what motivates other people so I think the hardest thing about management is there is no one-size-fits-all approach and each individual needs to be managed um, uniquely that's so true at the beginning of our conversation you mentioned some of the things you learned during your first startup uh, out of college. Uh, how would you compare yourself now as a leader versus uh, when you first started? Well said. Uh, and as we wrap, uh, I'm curious, you know, you've worked across uh, lots of different innovative uh, companies and organizations uh, over the past uh, you know, almost decade. And you've even gotten your master's degree in entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, so you are seeing you know, how, how progress and how business uh, works. I'm curious uh, if there are any trends that you're seeing 
uh, either in your sector or otherwise that you feel are being uh, overlooked or underappreciated? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I've worked in both like high growth companies and worked with high growth companies. And then I've worked with um, SMEs. And I, I think one thing that has been overlooked is just the power that SMEs have um, and the ability to, and, and, and the opportunity to really upscale them. And I think this is essentially at the heart of what AMI does and at the heart of uh, why we believe it's important to do what we do, right? Because um, while there are going to be few unicorns, there are going to be tons and tons of SMEs and MSMEs. So I think that that has been overlooked and how we best support them. But I've seen a trend now to really, to really put some focus there as well. And then the other bit is, I think now people, I mean, it's, it's because of COVID and people working from home, um, we now have kind of global, a global workforce. So, and somebody can work from, for, for you from anywhere. And that means that you will probably have high attrition or um, kind of really need to work on the culture and why people need to stay with you. So something that I think is being overlooked is that how employees value or how employees think about where to work is slowly changing from, you know, am I being paid the most? Um, you know, is this going to give me a big promotion to, to flexibility, to am I being valued in a way that is recognized, um, is a culture supportive of my other ambitions? So I think, I think that has become a forefront uh, priority now. One more question. I was actually speaking with someone else from AMI recently, and he was raving about the culture at AMI and how welcomed he felt. I think he's only been there for about six months. But wow. even after six months, he was still raving about how people really cared for each other. And uh, there was such a good uh, connection amongst the leaders and amongst the team, uh, even in a remote setting. So I'm curious, you know, how does AMI, uh, like you mentioned, you know, think intentionally about uh, crafting its its narrative and, and its culture to attract top talent to grow its team? Yeah, and I, I can equally rave about that culture. The culture at AMI is fantastic. Um, it's, it's, I feel like I'm valued. I'm not just part of a cog, right? I am recognized as an individual. Um, and I think it stems from the founders, uh, both Jonathan and Rebecca, really setting out and intentionally deciding what company they want to build. They want to build a company where people are cared for, people um, want to contribute in a, in a meaningful way and produce excellent work, uh, people who exceed the limits. And, and that has really come out in the culture and who we hire and how we recognize people. And so... I think one of the things that you have to recognize is culture is in the small things that you do. It's in the meetings and how you run them. You know, it's in what you recognize on your perhaps general Slack channel. It's in, you know, what you reward. So I would say, while we have really strong values we live by, we also do the small and intentional things in the organization to ensure that we live by them and we recognize them and we reward people who live by them as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful hearing about your leadership journey and, and the different learnings you've had along the way and, and some of the projects that you've 
had the, the privilege to uh, help coordinate or start or run or oversee or improve, uh, all of which you've done. So I look forward to continuing to follow your leadership journey and wishing you all the best. Thank you so much, Chris, and this was really, really insightful. Thank you.